Our scripture tonight comes from the first chapter of Philippians. We'll be reading the first 11 verses, focusing especially on the sixth verse. But Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. Hear now God's word. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that you who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. May God bless the reading of his word. We've all had the experience and continue to do so throughout life that there are things that we set out to do that we uh, do not accomplish them. Uh, It may be procrastination. There be other things that break into our lives that prevent us from being able to do so. And sometimes we make promises that we aren't able to keep. Parents make promises to their children that they may not keep. Children make promises to their parents that they may not keep. And we know that there are others as well that are uh, it proves to be detrimental when we don't always finish the things that we set out to do. The government can be like that. During election time, we hear of all kinds of promises that are made, but after the election is over, we find that... Uh, Uh, Those promises aren't necessarily kept, but it got them what they desired to attain. But as we look at our text tonight, we see what Paul is referring to. He's talking about one who always completes what he has begun. It is God himself who has begun a good work within us. And as the sixth verse says, Paul says, I am sure that he who began a good work within you will bring to completion that work at the day of Jesus Christ. And so we know that God, who has begun that work in us, we can be assured and confident that what he has begun, he is going to complete. And so as we look at that tonight, we want to note briefly uh, its beginning, its progression, and its completion. But first of all, its beginning And we see that the Apostle Paul was the one who established the work in Philippi. He was headed toward toward Macedonia. When he went there, he stopped off in Philippi, and and he began to preach and teach the gospel there. And uh, 
He went out by the river one day because that's where a ladies' prayer group was meeting, and he preached and taught the ladies there. And the first convert was Lydia, a seller of purple. And it tells us that uh, she, as she heard the words that Paul was preaching, God had opened her heart uh, to receive those words. And afterwards, uh, she invited Paul and, and Timothy and those who were with him into her house. Uh, but she was the first convert in the church in Philippi. And so Paul knew much about this church. He helped to establish it. He saw the first converts. He knew much about the people in Philippi. But Paul also was reminded, I'm sure, of his own conversion uh, that took place on the road to Damascus. And he makes reference to it a number of times. He, in the book of Acts, we read about it in chapter 9. He refers to it again in chapter 22. And then he refers to it again in chapter 26. So it's something that he never forgot, something that was, was a transforming moment in his life when that heart of stone was changed to a heart of flesh. And Paul was never the same after that, but became the strong advocate and proponent and proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the face of all uh, adversity and trials and tribulations that he faced. But again, he knew the people from Philippi. He refers to them very affectionately about their uh, partnership in the gospel with him. Uh, They were those who continued to preach the gospel even when he was imprisoned and it was dangerous to do so. Uh, They did not shrink back. Uh, They were emboldened by Paul's boldness and how he was handling his imprisonment. And also we read that he refers to them as partakers of the grace that was with him. And so Paul has great confidence in the church in Philippi. He knows their beginning, and he knows how they've continued to progress in the Christian life. And he begins to raise questions in the second chapter, the first four verses, and he asks four things there. Actually, they are rhetorical questions, because he knows the answer, but he uses it in a rhetorical way, uh, because he wants to show the manifestation of their faith that is there. And he says, if you have any encouragement in Christ, and certainly being in Christ, they have been encouraged time and again. And he says, if there's any love, any comfort from love, well, certainly they knew the comfort that the love of Christ brings to us day in and day out. If there's any participation in the Spirit, and of course we know that when Jesus spoke about the coming of the Spirit in John 14, he says, and I will send another helper just like him. And they knew that helper. They knew the Holy Spirit and how it was important and essential for them to live the Christian life that they were called to live. And then he speaks to them about uh, if there's any compassion or affection. And, of course, uh, he knew that that was there as well in their demonstration uh, toward one another. And, of course, since they had that manifestation of the Christian faith, then the fruit of that was to be unity, humility, and service. Pastor Jonathan talked about this morning in Psalm 133, the importance of unity. And Paul recognized the importance of unity in the church in Philippi. It was not a perfect church. It had uh, its issues. There were people that didn't get along with one another. There were those who were 
serving out of rivalry and envy, but not basically interested in the interest of Jesus Christ. And so Paul knew that those kinds of things were in the church. And, uh, but uh, because they have manifested faith, now he asks them and tells them, now you must demonstrate unity among one another. And you must demonstrate humility, not counting yourself as more important than others, being interested in the interest of others, not only your own interest. And then he goes on in, in the chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, and, and gives us that beautiful description of the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they were to follow his example But it's important to know that we are in Christ. That's the way Paul oftentimes speaks of the Christian faith, being in Christ. Assurance of our faith is not essential for our salvation, but it is something that the Bible says we can have. 1 John 5.13 says, These things I have written to you that you might know that you have eternal life. And so it is something we are to strive for. And uh, God gives us that grace and works in different ways in people's lives. I think of when I was growing up, I was baptized in the church as an infant, made profession of faith when I was a senior in high school, graduated from high school, but for the next eight years... I had doubts about my salvation. I did not question the word of God, whether it was true, but I had continual doubts, sometimes extremely intense. And um, finally, when I was up at Michigan State, eight years later, after that struggle began, I was reading a tract that somebody gave to me, and my roommates were gone for the night, and I was reading that tract, and, which uh, was filled with the word of God. As I read that, God gave me my epiphany, uh, that experience, uh, so that, I, that those doubts went away. And uh, I'll never forget that moment, but that's, God works differently in everybody's life. Uh, John Kelvin said about this, The Spirit is witness to me of my calling as he is to each of the elect. The Spirit is a witness to my calling, and I need to have that kind of assurance, that kind of confidence. The Spirit witnesses to my calling, as he does to each of the elect. For we do not know what is going on in each other's hearts, but when the Spirit is at work and one has been converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, there should be manifestations and evidences of the work of the Spirit in one's life. That's what we go by in the church, unless there's something contrary to that. But if we have doubts, we are to continue to seek the face of God. And where do we see the face of God? When we read the word of God, it tells us all about him. And he reveals all that we need to know about ourselves, about our sin problem. We see here the face, see, meet the face of God in a, a sermon that faithfully preaches the word of God. And it is through that means that we, we come to see our sinfulness and of our need uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. The 
first beatitude of the Sermon on the Mount, said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But how do we come to realize that we are poor in spirit? We do not recognize it in ourselves. It is when we see the face of God, when we see what God is like in comparison to what we are like. And that opens our eyes when the Spirit is at work within us and helps us to see the poverty of our souls, our need for the Redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are to seek him, seek him through his word. So God began a good work in those in the church in Philippi, and he will complete it. Romans 8.30 says, those whom he predestined, he also justified. And he called, and those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he will glorify. And so the, its beginning is all about our justification. But its progression is about our sanctification. And Paul has confidence based upon God's word that he who began a good work within us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Psalm eighty-nine thirty-three says that God will not remove from us his steadfast love and faithfulness. In Psalm 138, verse 8, it says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast work endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hand. Then we go on and we can see in John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We have life eternal. And then he goes on and he speaks in John 4, verse 14, the woman at the well. And there he says, if you drink the water that I've given to you, you will never thirst again. He's talking about spiritual thirst. And then in John 6, verses 37 and 39, none that the Father has given to the Son will be lost. And in John 10, 28, none shall be snatched out of the good shepherd's hand. In Romans 8, 39, we shall never be separated from the love of God. And Romans eleven twenty nine, the calling of God, will, calling to faith, will never be revoked. And 2 Timothy 2, 19, we have a foundation that shall never be destroyed. And in 1 Peter 4, 5, 4 and 5, it says, we have an inheritance that shall never fade. It shall never fade. These promises show why Paul had such confidence that he who begins a good work within us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He preserves us, but we can't talk about preservation without perseverance. Because God preserves us, 
he also enables us to persevere in the faith. He stirs in the hearts and lives of those who are his children so that we persevere and continue to move on in the faith. That's what he says in chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 12 and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work within you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it is God's preservation of us. But he also puts within us the desire to persevere so that we will continue on in the faith. And our union with Christ is to grow deeper and deeper throughout our lifetime. We read it in chapter 3, uh, verse 10. Paul, after boasting about uh, the things that he was boasting in before he was converted, about him being circumcised on the eighth day, being of the people of Israel, being of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, being a Hebrew of Hebrews, and goes on and says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, uh, in regard to righteousness of the law, blameless. But he boasted in those kinds of things. But then he says, all of these things are as nothing. They are as rubbish, garbage. That's what he calls them because of the surpassing worth of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. What a change in Paul's heart and life from being a persecutor of Christ to coming to know him, proclaiming him, suffering for him. What a transformation had come about in Paul's life. And so that he says in the 10th verse of chapter 3, my desire is to know him and to share in his sufferings and to know his resurrection power. But he says, I desire to know him, not just about him. We can know all kinds of things about the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul says, I desire to know him. In other words, he desires to deepen that union that he has with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a personal relationship that he has entered into by the grace and work of our Lord Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit. So he desires for that union to become deeper and uh, deeper. That's what it means to grow in sanctification, to die, to sin more and more, and to live more and more into righteousness. When we do that, we become more fully conformed to the image of Christ. But we see that God never took his hand off his son until he finished the work that the father gave him to do. He finished the work that he began in his son. And Jesus says in John 17, verse 4, Father, I have completed the work that you gave me to do. Now restore to me the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. It was progressive as he continued working in his son, accomplishing the work that he had sent him to do. 
through the ups and the downs, the opposition, the oppression, the rejection, all the things that Jesus faced and experienced, a denial and a betrayal among his own. And in his darkest hour, his disciples all departing from him during that time as he went to the cross. That the Father was with him in all this time, completing the work which he had begun within him. And he does not take his hand off from us until the day of Jesus Christ. That means that all in life is meaningful. Sometimes we don't pay much attention to the things that happen in our lives and we don't think that there's much meaning to them, but we need to be reminded that God is using all things to complete that work that he's begun within us. There are those things that are pleasant. There are disappointments that you and I experience in this life. There are trials. There is illness, loss of loved ones, all kinds of circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in and sometimes we react to them in the wrong way but we ought to see them as that God is using these things to complete the work that he has begun within us and he brings into our things into our lives to destroy our self-sufficiency we hate to give that up but he does he takes it away from us that we might become more dependent upon his sufficiency. I've learned a lot about that the past few years with the health issues I've had. I fought them, didn't enjoy them, but I learned through them that God was using these things to destroy my self-sufficiency, my confidence in my self-sufficiency, that I might put my confidence in his sufficiency. And I share that with the people at Park Village Pines all the time that God is using these things in your life to complete the work that he's begun. They are all meaningful. They may be painful. The pandemic is painful, that God is using this in the the lives of his people. There was a nice article in the uh, New Horizon about Revelation chapter 6 and the pandemic. And there it explained that this pandemic that is going on, it is accomplishing things, even though we can't always see what is being accomplished. For those who are rejecting the Christ, it it is used to harden their hearts further and further, although some will be transformed by the grace of God. But even in the life of the Christian, in the life of the church, these kinds of things are intended to refine our faith. Judgment comes to the household of God first. And our faith is to be refined as we go through these things that we might become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That is God's intention through the pandemic, as difficult and painful and disruptive as it is in our lives and the world in which we live. The church in Philippi had those things that were not pleasant Philippians 1.28 says that there were those in, in the church who were their opponents, those in the church. 
There were some who preached the word out of envy and rivalry as opposed to those who preached it out of goodwill. But they had to face those kinds of people in the church. Chapter 2, verse uh, 15, it says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That's the kind of world they lived in. But that's the kind of world where God was continually completing the faith that he had begun uh, within them. In chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, uh, there Paul speaks about uh, those in the church, and he shares this with tears in his eyes as he says, their end is destruction. Everyone who rejects the Lord Jesus Christ, we can say, their end is destruction. But then he goes on and says, their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Their eyes are upon earthly things rather than eternal things. Those are some of the people in the church that the people in Philippi had to, had to deal with. And then... In chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, he, he speaks about, uh, I have learned in every state to be content. Whether I have much or whether I have, have little, I have learned how to be content, whatever my circumstance or situation is. And Paul was able to do that because of his relationship to Jesus Christ. You see, Philippians, some 16 times it talks about joy and rejoicing. This is a prison epistle. And he speaks about joy and rejoicing, which is not contingent upon our circumstances. It's dependent upon our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Be anxious in nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication make your request known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But be anxious about nothing. Many people are anxious today about the pandemic, even Christians, anxious about what is going on in our world. But be anxious in nothing but everything with prayer and supplication that your request be made known to God. And then the last thing he talks about the completion, which is our glorification. Remember Romans 8.30 said, Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he, he, he will glorify. He will bring the work he began within us to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that's a reference to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it isn't only us as individuals, but the whole church of Jesus Christ will be completed, and it'll be a beautiful, holy temple, all together, a glorious time that will be. He will be manifested in glory and will be met by his bride, the church. Now this conflict that we experience in this life is terminated by death, lest Christ return before And we can say what I 
and ear will see and hear will be hidden from us here. When we think about eternity, when we think about that glorification and that which shall be a reality to us, it's hidden to us here. And even Revelation 21, when it talks about the new Jerusalem, the church, it's in figurative language. We cannot grasp and get our arms around those things that are described in such a way. Human words are not able to express the inexpressible. That's the way our gift of salvation is spoken of, the inexpressible gift that God has given to us. He dwells in an unapproachable light, and yet he has revealed to us the light of the world, his son, in John chapter 8. I was reading a few comments from Brackle's theology about our eternal glory. I'll just share a few of them as I close. But uh, aside from that, uh, I remember reading what Charles Spurgeon said, that when we enter heaven, the first five minutes in heaven, he said, we will know more about Jesus Christ than all that we've learned about him here in this life, all that we've accumulated. Books have been written about him. More and more books have been written. It's inexhaustible. But when we enter into heaven... In five minutes, we shall know more about Jesus Christ than all that we have learned about him here in this life. But Brockle mentions a few things. He says, all will be glorified in heaven as much as they can endure, and none will feel deprived. We'll be given as much as we can endure, but none will feel deprived of that glory. And then he says, divine revelation will help us to recognize all in heaven. I hadn't thought about that. And he points to Matthew 17, verse 3, when Peter, James, and John in the transfiguration, saw Moses and Elijah, how did they recognize them? They'd never seen them before. Brackle would say it was divine revelation. And he will give us divine revelation in heaven so that we will recognize everyone. An interesting thought. And then he says there will be perfect love and perfect fellowship and perfect unity among the saints. And so when we think about the glory, the glorification that shall be ours, and we think of how some lived in preparation because of their belief in that, Paul's belief in that, the church in Philippi that believed in that. Then we read about Hebrews 11, verses 26 and 7, where where it talks about Moses It says, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking to the Christ who was to come. And then we read Romans 8, verse 18, the Apostle Paul said that the sufferings of this life are nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed to us. 
And I'd just like to close with a scripture from Hebrews 12, uh, the first uh, two verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's helpful for us, for all of life, the Lord Jesus, because of the joy. The joy for what? Knowing that the glory was going to be restored to him. And because he knew that, he was willing to endure the suffering of the cross, despise the shame. And we too can have that same attitude because of the joy that is ours with anticipation of our glorification one day so that the things of this life begin to pale in comparison. May God give us grace as he continues his and completes his work within us that we might follow that pattern that our Lord Jesus Christ has set for us. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word we thank you for that work that you have begun within us and how that work is ongoing within us by your grace, by your Holy Spirit, that we might be more fully conformed to our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the bright hope that is ours, that state of glorification. Uh, give us the grace uh, to endure those hard, difficult things that we may face in this life. But help us also to enjoy the pleasant, uh, the joyous things that uh, we uh, come across our pathway as well. That in all, you would be glorified. For Jesus' sake, amen.